Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. The Sacrifices of Childbirth At the start of this parsha is a cluster of laws that have challenged and puzzled the commentators. They concern a woman who has just given birth. If she gives birth to a son, she's unclean for seven days and um, must wait for a further 33 days before coming into contact with holy objects or appearing at the temple. If she gives birth to a girl, both time periods are doubled. She's unclean for two weeks and must wait a further 66 days. She then has to bring two offerings, um, a yearling sheep and a young dove or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and so on. Now, the problems are obvious. Why does she need to bring a sacrifice? We'd understand if she had to bring a thanksgiving offering, giving Tazria thanks for her recovery and for her child. But that's not what she's commanded. Instead, she has to bring a burnt offering, normally brought for a serious offence, together with the sin offering. But what is her offence? What's her sin? She's fulfilled the first command in the Torah, to be fruitful and multiply. She's done nothing wrong at all, so why does she need atonement? Here are some of the commentators' suggestions. Rabbeinu Bachia and Rav Shlomo Ephraim ben Aaron Lunchitz, the Kliyakar, both suggest that the offerings recall the sin of Eve in Gan Eden and her punishment from God that he would make her pain in childbearing very severe. Ibn Ezra, following a suggestion in the Talmud, says that a woman during the anguish of labor may have thought or expressed ideas that were sinful or that she now regrets, such as vowing not to have future relations with her husband. Nachmanides says that sacrifice is a kind of ransom or a relief offering for having survived the dangers of childbirth. Svorno says that the woman has been intensely focused on the physical processes accompanying childbirth, so she needs time and the bringing of an offering to rededicate her thoughts to God and to matters of the spirit. Rabmeyer Simchov Dvinsk says that the burnt offering is like an olat riya, an offering brought when appearing at the temple on festivals following the law, don't appear before me empty-handed. So the woman celebrates her ability to appear before God at the temple. Now, without displacing any of these ideas, we might, however, suggest another set of perspectives. The first is about the fundamental concepts that dominate this section of Vayikra, the words Tamei and Tahor, normally translated as unclean and clean, or defiled and pure. It's important to note that these words don't have the kind of resonance that they have in the English language. Tame doesn't mean impure or defiled. It's a technical term, meaning that one is in a condition that prevents him or her from entering the tabernacle or the temple. And tahor means the opposite, that you may enter. How are we to understand this? The tabernacle, and at a later date the temple, were symbols of the presence of God within the human domain, at the heart of at the centre of the camp during the wilderness years and at the centre of the nation during the years of the monarchy. But they were only symbols. 
Because in monotheism, God is everywhere equally. The very concepts of place and time in relation to God are metaphorical. It isn't that God is here rather than elsewhere, but that we as humans feel his presence here rather than we feel it elsewhere. So it was essential, therefore, that from a human perspective, the experience of being in the domain of the holy was an experience of pure transcendence. God is eternal. God is spiritual. We in the universe are physical. And whatever is physical is subject to birth, growth, decline, decay, and death. It's these things that have to be excluded from the sanctuary if we're to have an experience of standing in the real presence of eternity, of timelessness. What therefore bars us from entering the holy is anything that reminds us or others of our mortality, the fact that we're born and will one day die. Contact with death or even birth has this effect. Both therefore debar the person who has had such contact from the domain of the holy. Special though different processes of purification had to be undergone both by those who had come into contact with the dead and, as in our parasha, by a mother who's just given birth. And the same is true of anything that draws attention to our physicality. That's why, for instance, people who suffered from the skin disease called tzara'at, leprosy, or a flow of menstrual blood or a seminal discharge also had to go undergo a rite of purification. Likewise, a priest with a physical blemish was disqualified from serving in the priesthood and was precluded from approaching the altar to offer fire offerings. So a woman who's just given birth was therefore tmeah, not because of the sin of Eve, but because birth, like death, is a signal of mortality, which has no place in the temple, the space set aside for the consciousness of eternity and spirituality. As for the burnt offering, this is a reminder of the binding of Isaac and of the animal sacrificed as a burnt offering in his place. I've argued elsewhere that the binding of Isaac was intended as a protest against the absolute power parents had over children in the ancient world, patria potestas, as it was called in Roman law. Essentially, the child was regarded as the property of his parents. A father had total legal power over a child, even to the extent of life and death. That was one reason why child sacrifice was so widely practiced in the ancient world. The Torah makes an implicit comment on this in its account of the name given to the first human child. Eve called him Cain, Cain, from the Hebrew meaning ownership, Kaniti. I have acquired a child through God. Now, if you treat your child as your possession, you may turn him into a murderer. That is what the Torah is implying. The narrative of the binding of Isaac is a statement for all time that parents don't own their children. The whole story of the birth of Isaac points in that direction. He was born when Sarah was already postmenopausal, incapable of having a child naturally. Isaac was clearly the special gift of God. As the first Jewish child, he became the precedent for all subsequent generations. The binding was intended to establish that children belong to God. Parents are merely guardians. That, in relation to the firstborn, was also the message of the tenth plague in Egypt. All firstborn were to have been priests in the service of God. Only after the sin of the golden calf 
did this role devolve on the tribe of Levi. The same idea lies behind the ritual of the redemption of the firstborn. Hannah dedicated her child Shmuel to God, as did the wife of Manoach, mother of Samson. Mother brought a burnt offering, uh, as did Abraham, in lieu of the child. By so doing, she acknowledged that she wasn't the owner of the child, merely its guardian. In bringing the offering, it's as if she'd said, God, I know I should dedicate this child entirely to your service. Please accept this offering in his place. And uh, as for the sin offering, well, there's a fascinating rabbinic passage that sheds light on it. It describes a conversation between God and the angels prior to the creation of man. It's a long passage. I'll just give you the summary. The angel said, Rabbono Shalom, why do you create this being who can sin against you? And as the generations came and went and they kept sinning and the angel said, we told you so. And God said, Atseva Ani Esbo, even to gray hair, I will still be patient. God is infinitely patient with us, his all too often sinful creations. The angels were opposed to creation of man because they knew in advance that of all life forms, humans alone are capable of sinning and thus threatening the work of the creator. The passage implies that God knew that humans would sin and yet persisted in creating humanity. And this, I think, explains the sin offering brought on the birth of a child. The child will one day sin. Adam in Sadiq Ba'aret, says Kohelet, there's none on earth so righteous as to do only good and never sin. So a mother brings a sin offering in advance to atone, as it were, for any sin the child may commit while still a child, as if to say, God, you knew humans would sin, yet still you created them and commanded us to bring new life into the world. Therefore, please accept this sin offering in advance for any wrong my child may do. Parents are responsible in Jewish law for the sins their children commit. That's why when a child becomes bar or bat mitzvah, a parent makes the blessing thanking God, Baruch Shepotrani, Thank God for making me exempt from any further punishment that might have accrued to me from this one. So the sacrifices a woman brings on the birth of a child and the period during which she's unable to enter the temple have nothing to do with any sin she may have committed or any defilement she may have undergone. They are rather to do with the basic fact of human mortality, together with the responsibility a parent undertakes for the conduct of a child and an acknowledgement that every new life is the gift of God. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org slash cc family edition. Thank you.